The following episode of the 9pm edict was recorded live in Hobart, Tasmania. It contains strong language, adult themes, science, and alcohol. Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2018. In an episode recorded live, but in private, in Hobart, Tasmania, we hear about sexuality and neuroscience. We are a spectrum, not just in sexuality, we are a spectrum in every single part of our, you know, our mental capacity. Sexuality and the stars. Stars are both binary and non-binary. And the curious sexualities of the sex industry. I get clients who book me just to rub my tummy. This is the 9pm Edicts Private House Forum number one, Hobart. And it's not really about sex. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 9pm Edicts uh, podcast from the wonderful hell world of Hobart. My guests tonight are Dr. Lila Landowski, a neuroscientist at the University of Tasmania, billed as a science communicator and advocate and Premier's Young Achiever of the Year 2015. That's what it says on your Twitter thing. Hello, Lila. <gasps> Hello. What a... What a salubrious introduction. Thank you. Well, that's what you have on your Twitter account, isn't it? (laughs) Also with us is either Dr. or Associate Professor Andrew Cole, an astrophysicist. My God, aren't we special tonight at the University of Tasmania? And also an ultimate Frisbee player, freelance philosopher and beer critic. Good evening, sir. Hey, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And last but by no means least, uh, the lovely Corinne, who we're billing tonight as engineer, escort, and all-round smart person. Hi, Corinne. Hi. I'm going to begin by asking you, Dr. Leela, your um, Twitter profile says, I beg for money so I can use it to collect brains and skin and chop up, chop them up into tiny pieces. <laughs> is is that really what you do for a living? Well, look, to be honest, the nature of medical research and science in general is that you're constantly begging for money from various sources through the government, through philanthropies, to fund the work that you're doing. So, yes, I am constantly begging for money. And as a neuroscientist, I'm working on the brain and the nerves that span throughout the body. So, for example, the skin. So I need to collect brain and skin and to do just that. You're sounding, shall I say, just very, very eager to do that. <laughs> oh, look, I've been doing it for a while. I've got a bit of brain, a chant for it. Skin, dithers, all of those things. Um, Andrew Cole, I'll, I'll ask you more about actual astrophysics in a moment, but uh, why frisbees? Uh, why not? Uh, it's a sport for people who are no good at sports in high school, which is definitely me. And uh, I like to tell people it's a perfect sport for physics because it's a both a frisbee is both a gyroscope and an airfoil. Oh, hello. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the real thing, it was just something to do on the weekends that involved running around and chasing things. <laughs> I thought we were nerds. Like, that's next oh, yeah, level. No, I'm by far probably the geekiest, nerdiest, uh, yeah. I look. I don't know about that because Corinne, you you escort and yeah. engineer. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap personally because. <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, <laughs> for me personally, there's a lot of overlap because I I did engineering. Wow. Um, I enjoyed engineering because, and a lot of engineers do pick the profession because they have a a chance to make some societal change. And, you know, to do good or to make things better. And, um, and escorting is a lot about that as well, but at a personal level. And, um, you know, so... Giving... Sorry, sorry, wait, what? Yeah, so I'm making people better in both jobs. Yes, uh, yeah. all right. Yeah, so, you know, I'm doing good in the world at a personal level or a societal level. All right. Yeah. Well, look, we will come back to those things. Leela, what's exciting in neuroscience right now? Oh, my goodness, there are so many things... Um, I could talk about exercise on the brain, 
the effect of we've, we've recently discovered a new function of the brain. Oh, hello with that. Okay, right now we'll start with that. Okay, so we know that there's a system in the body called the lymphatic system, which essentially what it does is it wicks away the fluid that builds up between cells, and it returns it to the bloodstream so that you don't become large fluid masses. Now, so like a- national party MPs. Well, uh, no comment. <laughs> but many of us have had cankles. You know, you go on a long term, you go on a massive flight, you have cankles. That's because the fluid is not getting returned to the bloodstream. It's building up in that part of the body. Now, only just recently we've come to realise that this part of the body actually exists in the brain as well. So it's called the glymphatic system. Not the lymphatic system, the glymphatic system. And the reason why it's called the glymphatic system is because we have glial. It's composed of glial cells, which is a particular cell type which is involved in forming these structures. Right. Now, the useful thing about this system is, you know, the brain is the most metabolically active part of the body. 30% of your oxygen and your nutrients are being used by the brain at rest. 30%. 30%. So, you know, just as us sitting here digesting food and conversing with quite elephant eloquent conversation nearly nearly yeah i couldn't even pronounce that correctly <laughs> too many wines already uh you know we're using we're using a lot of our metabolic energy to compute and to tell our body what to do so that's actually creating a lot of metabolic waste so as we are doing things we're creating waste and that waste needs to be wicked away now that continues to build up during the day and it's only when we go to sleep that the glymphatic system becomes active and then wicks away that waste and allows us to essentially be refreshed. This sounds to me like another whole argument for why you need a decent amount of sleep it, and that we didn't know before. Yes, absolutely. And it really lends its, um, a lot of evidence to this feeling of having brain fog in the morning when you haven't slept. It's because that waste has literally just built up and hasn't been wicked away. Wow. Hmm. It's remarkably simple and it's quite <laughs> phenomenal that it's only been recently discovered. We're only coming to learn a lot of these quite interesting fact, facets of the body as we go on and we learn uh, and we delve in more into the human body. Well, I need to ask this now. How much have we really learned about how the human body works since, I don't know, Victorian times? I mean, what's... Oh, look, I mean, we don't have leeches. Well, we do have leeches. You know, I, it's it, the growth has been exponential. I mean, to, we've we've used you know these ancient medicines, these Chinese med- medicines, as a basis for modern medicine. So we've developed on that, but we also have this acute understanding of the way that the body works. The problem is, is that the brain, you know, the the epicenter of the body, the part of the body that controls everything that we do, whether we're thinking about it or not we don't know that much about. We know a lot about things on the molecular level, for example, how one brain cell or one neuron communicates to another neuron, but we don't really know a lot about how this whole system works as a whole. Wow. (laughs) Whenever I end up talking to scientists, uh, I seem to discover that we know a whole lot less about the world than we imagine we do. Is that true? Yes, but we're making we're progressing in leaps and bounds, and t- technology today is allowing us to progress at a rate that I I can't comprehend myself. The technology that we're using that we used five years ago, I never would have comprehended that we could have collected the amount and the type of data that we use today, and that's only changing. We you know with every with every given year. But how much of your day to day work is about that kind of data and analysis as opposed to as your Twitter profile says, chopping up brains. Well, look, we have to we have to be able to chop up the brains <laughs> into bite-sized pieces. <laughs> of course we do. In order to be able to, you know, tease apart the information and that that piece actually contains. And we're not really at a point yet where we can sort of look at systems within the brain in a in a particularly accurate way um at least to the regular scientist with with t- 
to be. So, what's tools. a regular scientist as opposed to what you do? Regular scientists are the people who don't chop up brains. No, 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 no. So, chop, chopping up tissue to be able to look at it on, on a microscopic level is, you know, it's bread and butter for all scientists who are working in, you know, molecular biology. This is not in a satisfying concept. No. Not at all. But I mean, it would be a great way oh, to get don't. really nicely. Oh, don't. Um, Can I just say, we've been having some lovely, like, wallaby things and other food here in Tasmania, but... Super delightful. Isn't it just? Yeah. But back to uh, slicing up whatever it was we were just talking about. So we... In order brains. to... Brains. Thank you. In order to really understand what's brains, going... Brains. Brains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are, of course, very physical representation of zombies happening here in the room at the moment, as you would expect. Neuroscientists also only want you for your brains. <laughs> uh, so in order for you, in order, like one of the, one of the most common techniques used in, in neuroscience and indeed, you know, biosciences is to literally have a slice of that tissue that you're interested in, that cell type, that part of the body that you're interested in. And you can use a range of different um, tools to interrogate what is happening to things on the biochemical level. You can look to see what receptors are changing, what other parts of the, within the cell are changing. Um, so it's, uh, it's actually quite a basic approach to, a, to looking at science. Okay. What for you, and I'll, I'll get on to our other guests in a moment, they're, they're I mean, they're transfixed. Oh, totally. No, just could just be the little show. Yeah, please. Let's just do the whole thing about <laughs> neuroscience. Um, what's the next big thing in neuroscience? And I ask that, and you can think about this while I'm saying it, because I, you know, have a computing science background, and artificial intelligence is, of course, all the buzzword at the moment of machine learning, and I get the feeling that as soon uh, as me as a computing scientist talks to a neuroscientist and says, ha-ha, we have solved intelligence, that's rubbish, isn't it? Oh, it is, but but we are progressing at an incredible rate. I mean, the last time I looked into these statistics, which was probably two years ago, so they're probably entirely wrong now, <laughs> is that the computer had the average intelligence of a three-year-old child, and I'm sure now it's probably five or ten. Can I just say, probably any parent of a three-year-old child just goes, nah. <laughs> nah. My three-year-old is, yeah. Mm. They know how to uh, weasel extra sweets out of me. Genius. Aren't they wonderful? Okay, I'm now going to cross straight over to Andrew Cole and go, all right, first 120 seconds of the universe, what happened? <laughs> Everything that you need to know about, except yeah. the interesting parts. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, first, uh, what is it, 120 seconds? Two minutes. Uh, first three minutes, yeah. formation of elements, nuclei. Yeah, all the stuff that people like to put on TV. <laughs> Oh, okay. Now I'm going to come back to you. That's actually no. Actually, I'll do it now. Okay. You indicated a certain is contempt too strong for television portrayals of the beginning of the universe. Yeah, no, no, totally. That's it's not contempt. Um, I love watching uh, you know people explain sort of the first three minutes to a mass audience because yeah. I couldn't do it myself. Do it now. Go on. All right. In the beginning, everything was infinitely hot, and it expanded and cooled down, and shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> so that's astrophysics. That's, that's like astrophysics. Li liter literal shit? Is that like... Well, eventually. Eventually. Not for the first couple billion years, but uh, yeah, that, you know... Metabolic processes took a while, I think. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, us, us critters <laughs> took quite some time to get on the complex. stage. So I like to look at... Can I just say, critters is not your thing, is it? Uh, I think the last time I took a biology class was in ninth grade. So uh -huh. it's going back to like 1987. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was born in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> the magic yeah, of science. I was going on my first dates in 1987. So. Wow. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, ha I'm happy to say that clearly I am still the oldest person in the room. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was a great year. 
Moving, moving on to more contemporary issues in astrophysics, what do you actually do day to day? I mean, apart from deal with looking students. for money, the same. Looking for yeah, well, <laughs> looking for money. Yeah, that's science, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I look at uh, the formation of galaxies mm-hmm. and uh, try to measure uh, sort of the oldest stars. Try and work out how they. How so the we're talking Jajagabor and uh, uh, even older, yeah. <laughs> even uh, even older. Yes, yeah. yeah. so as old as your typical. What was it? Uh, National Party. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and in my spare time, I look for planets around other stars. Right. How many have you found? Um, I've only actually been at the telescope. Going, you know, I'm the one who has all the data. Ha 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 ha. For one. <laughs> But I've participated. Man, can I, can I just say that there. one planet, that's your planet. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It was also, it was during the winter in Tassie, so it was like minus one degrees. The humidity was 99%. It was hardcore. <laughs> what's, the, what's the name of this planet? Oh, it's got a license plate number. It's serial number. Yeah, so. which is, can you remember? Yeah, it's Ogle OB171395 LB. Fuck that's right. But uh, you know, among friends, we just call it the Tasmanian one. <laughs> the Tasmanian planet. That's like giving birth. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I obviously have no opinion on no. On, on this. Uh, we're, we're going way off the little structured plan I had here, which is excellent because that's precisely what I wanted to happen, Corinne. Hmm. Why the transition from engineering to escorting? Um, ugh, I, essentially, I've been... Or is it a both thing? Do you still do both? Oh, I still do both. Yeah. Okay. I do engineering for shits and giggles, and escorting <laughs> pays the mortgage. That's kind of the other way around from how most people might yeah. think of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, but better rate of pay, escorting. Well, um, it is, isn't it? Mm, yeah. And I'm my own boss and I choose my clients and I choose the type of work and I choose when I work and where I work and what country I work in and if I want to, you know, it's pretty fab. As you know, I have uh, connections with that particular industry going yeah. back some time and I'm uh, whatever, regular listeners to the podcast may know this easier slurring. It's a bit of a... <laughs> what are the biggest misconceptions people have about the sex industry all of the misconceptions are the biggest like that um we only do this work because we have no choice or we have no other options or we can't make a choice you know we're incapable of seeing the damage that we're doing to ourselves um that someone is uh forcing me to do this or that it's um I'll just interrupt. I yeah. can't see anyone forcing you to do anything. I'll You're tell a you, very I'll tell strong you, person. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. So I have a client who's in a nursing home. And uh, so often it's late at night when I'm leaving. And nursing homes often have like a keypad, like a lockdown system. And you have to do, enter numbers into a keypad to get yourself out. And I can never remember the bloody codes to these things. And there was a, a gentleman of uh, dark complexion who was leaving at the same time and he couldn't remember the code either. So I said, and so we were sort of, he was sort of waiting at the door when I approached it and I said, oh, I'll go up to the nurse's station find, get them to let us out. came back to me that it was assumed that he was my pimp and he was picking me up to take me to the next job. What? Yeah, it was just the, the that was the automatic assumption that was made. And um, yeah, so that was that was interesting. But that's just... It's just what the assumption is, you know. No, I, I want to come back because I know one of the questions people always have is yeah. they always think that escorting in the sex industry is about travelling businessmen rather than regular customers. I reckon 80%. Customers, clients. Customers sounds awful. It does. Yeah, no, I'm not a <laughs> shop. Um <laughs> Clients, yeah. I I call them clients. Just at the moment, the staff have popped into us. Are we still working on these? Yeah, I'm still working on the pumpkin. The pumpkins, yeah. I haven't had the pumpkin. Um, Mm. No, we're still We'll be right for a moment. Thank you. (laughs) She's so so embarrassed now, running out. Um, Uh, Where were we? The broader idea of business versus regular customers versus half-price Tuesdays. (laughs) Tight ass Tuesdays, literally. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) 
her in. <laughs> I'm here all night, folks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I know, but I know that pensioner yeah. discounts is a thing. Oh yeah, I have um dis- oh, I don't so much now, but I have a, dis- a disability discount. Um. Yeah, so about, I'd say, 80%, 90% of my clients are long-term regulars of some description or other. Some are weekly, some are every three months, but, you know, they're the ones that they always come back. Um, and, yeah, then there is the business travelling people, um, but they're also regulars in a way too. Um, so, you know, every time they come to the town that I'm in, I'm the one they look up. So, and they, they get to know you. Yeah. Or they fly me to them. How much, yeah, the the fly you to them, mm. how much, it sounds glamorous, it's well, probably no, not. No, it's essentially because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> so, um, so touring is a big part, or it can be. I mean, there's a billion ways of working, and that's a really good thing about the sex work industry is that you can choose uh, mm. how to work that suits you. So if you want to work in your town... Um, that's great. If you don't want to work in your town because everyone knows you, then you might only work, you know, when you travel. Uh, so touring is often a big feature. Uh, I find it really tiring. Like it's it's really draining, and it's a different style of working that uh, you're set in a. Mm, no, uh, there's a range of ways of doing it, but you're often it's shorter notice. Okay, you're in town today. You're available now, um, and. I, I'm not really good at that. I like to know what I'm doing when I wake up in the morning, so it doesn't really suit me. But the fly me to you is a kind of touring on a personal level, you know. And tailored, at the same time, you, you know in advance yeah. that yeah. you've got this time blocked out yes. for this experience exactly. for the client. Yeah, and, and because I work um, in advance a lot, I can prepare things and experiences. and For example... Uh, so I might do a two-hour massage that um, has sensation play in it. So that would have uh, – we were talking about audio sensory medial response. Before we started recording. Yeah. Just, tell me more about that because that's Well, that's it's not part science and I'm surrounded by science and I don't want to do pseudoscience. No, 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 no. They're, 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 they're cool scientists. So they don't mind. <laughs> we're not really that into science. Okay, no, no, so no. – <laughs> <laughs> Neuro, yeah. Neuroscience, astrophysics, fuck, that's not – yeah. Proper science, is it? Okay, so... Tell AS- us more about this proper ASMR. science. ASMR. Yeah, yeah, no, the real stuff that actually works. Um, <laughs> says the engineer in between two scientists. Um, yeah, no, so it's usually auditory. Sometimes it can be a, a touch thing that uh, triggers it, but it's the sensation you get when you get prickles on your scalp and down your spine, like that really tingly feeling, or it's sometimes cause it can be a little bit of a floaty, disassociative feeling. Um and it's not everyone has it, and a lot of people will be going eh, and then a lot of people will be going oh yeah. Uh, so you either know whether you know it or not. Um, but no, there's whole YouTube channels. Just, um, so whispering is a very common uh, trigger. Whispering. Yeah. So so you can hear the voice, but it's quiet enough that you can't make out the words. So you get a lot. And that triggers a sensation. Yeah. Um, paper crinkling. Um, tapping. See, now I'm thinking about fingers down a blackboard. Some people love that. Okay, that's creepy. Mm, mm. I, that, should, I shouldn't say that's creepy to you, Corinne, because... No, there is no creepy. There is no abnormal and there's no creepy. Not in this industry, I know, but... No, yeah. Not. Well, no, there is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to... Sometimes when I get clients and they'll say, oh, I want to do everything, and I say, oh, well, I'll go and get the pony then. And I've got to stop wait, making wait, wait. that joke stop, stop. because it's not appropriate. Stop, stop. The pony? What's the pony? Yeah, it's in a pony, like clip-clop, clip-clop, nay, you know, or I bring in the clowns. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I reckon it's a joke. Yeah, it's a joke still. It's a joke. <laughs> And I've got to stop making it because it's very inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I've just been down here doing goat things, so... Wow. Well, I mean, yeah. you could go down the, the fairy world, which is very animalistic. The and, furry, and puppy, sorry, the furry world, yes. Yeah, and puppy play, pony play. How much is... How much of a percentage of the whole industry is that kind of stuff? Because... Mm. Oh well, I'm I'm more. A I mean, I'm not, not. I'm, I'm not, asking. I'm not yeah. asking what 
what your particular client well, you base could is say, about. You could divide it up into sexual, and, and then you have to have a discussion about what you define as sexual. You know, is it penis and vagina? Is it what is it? What is sex? But we could say sexual or non sexual. And I reckon, well, from my experience, at least, actually, I did the numbers. Uh, I think it was. Right. Of course I did, because I love a spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> About 70%. So I'm having a, the sex industry spreadsheet. I'm oh, quite, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you, you, you talk to a camera and they will have you stats and data. Bang on. When we say camera, we're talking about the ladies and gentlemen who perform on camera. Yes. For people. Can I just say that that has to be the biggest scam imaginable? Because That's how I you, started. Yeah, if you mm. want... An actual worker to do an out call and visit you, that costs what per hour these days in Australia? Um, 400. 400 up yep. plus, plus fares plus whatever. Fly me to you. Yep, they pay the flights. If you're on a cam, you're paying per minute what? $3 max. But $3 uh, a minute as opposed to $400 an hour. Like the, the numbers. Just, yeah, no, no. And there's multiple viewers. Yeah, and but there's also the um, the rotting that goes behind because the the camera won't get the three dollars a minute. They'll oh, get no. between thirty and seventy percent of their income. So, but if someone's escorting through an agency, they're getting fifty, forty percent. That's um, the, forty to seventy. Forty depends. To, well, yeah. depend on the deal. Yeah. Is there a driver? A good, Is there a you know? All oh, of it that. depends. Depends on so much. Um, yeah, but fifty would be a good ball. Of, Park, yeah. Why do I know so much about this? <laughs> but yes, I, yeah, still. I I know, but I yeah. I do know you, the business your knowledge models predates of the industry. mine. Oh, yeah. that's scary. Yeah, yeah. And coming from Adelaide, because that's a very different legislative environment. Still, it is. Yeah. And the reason I like I I think some of the listeners to this podcast may have heard this story before. But the reason I know this is when I worked for ABC Radio in Adelaide, there were uh, there was a, a sort of law reform relating to prostitution law happening in the state. And so I did some programs related to that and whatever mm. and had some working girls and boys on the program at night. Once you're after 9.30pm, we could discuss <laughs> the details of the industry. Yes. And uh, somehow they figured that I was the kind of person who would know about how to, how, how to organise a hooker on a weeknight. You yeah. Know, I hate saying that, but that's yeah. kind of what it, what it was. Um, but I remember after we did a series of talkback shows um, late in the evening, I got a phone call from the wonderful Stormy Summers, who was the grand madam of the sex industry in South Australia. I don't think she's with us anymore. She, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I'll, I don't I'll, know. I'll add that yeah. in. Um, there was a whole thing about the murder of a biker in her establishment because they did the security for a thing. Yeah. But after I'd done this series of, of, of programs, um, Stormy phoned up the next day and she has a, she had a voice, had, has, I don't know. I don't know whether she's still with us, but she had that voice of, of cigarettes and bourbon and she just phoned up and said, hello, it's Stormy Summers here. <laughs> and I go, oh, Ms. Summers, um, good to talk. What's up? She I just want to, on, on behalf of the entire sex industry of South Australia, I would like to thank you for your programs that night. Brilliant. She actually ran for North uh, for Lord Mayor of Adelaide one year and got something about like thirty thirty percent of the primary yeah. vote. She was that. she was an amazing figure in South mm. Australian history. But yeah. yeah, word was, I mean, all right, she had bikers doing her security and there was a murder in the apartment. But word was that for the girls, she ran a good establishment. Yeah, we need to probably take a break at this point i am uh desperately trying to fire up some music because i accidentally i accidentally closed the wrong window here if you're enjoying uh this episode of the 9pm edict recorded in hobart and you would like one in adelaide 
Well, there's a possible campaign opened called the 9pm Hometown Forum. That's because I'm originally from Adelaide. You can go to stillgarian.com slash hometown and have a look at uh, the various pledgy things on offer. And uh, why don't you open your wallets and give me a little wallet love while you're there. That's stillgarian.com slash hometown. Because as you know, uh, this podcast is supported by you, the listeners, and uh, this one in particular was supported by those uh, who pledged to the 9pm Goat Fest Tasmania, which you uh, heard a few days ago, uh, and people contributing to that were, well, issuing a goatee challenge were Peter Lawler, Roselle Snark and Paul McKelvey asking an Ask a Goat question uh, were Stuart Young, Peter Lawler, Point Zero One, Christopher Neal, Johan De Witt, and four people who choose remain anonymous. Uh, There were slightly less basic tips from Simon Harris, David Heath, Nick Andrew, Andrew Groom, Paul Williams, uh, Katrina Setsi, Paul Kidd, Daniel O'Connor, Nicholas Fry, Rick Heyman, Kathy Reid, Twiddlekins, Norman Marsh, Sean Minnie, Sil Mobile, Tim Bell, Andrew Kennedy, Andrew Groom, Melissa Madsen, Kate Carruthers, Adam Fist, Patrick, uh, Chris Gentle, Bob Ogden, and seven people who chose to remain anonymous. And basic tips from Errol Cavett, Matt Moore, and one person who who chose to remain anonymous, and three other very generous souls. Uh, and Pete Lawler also pledged to receive a forum question in this episode, but for reasons uh, beyond our control, that didn't happen. So I owe you one, Pete. But right now, you know, let's just uh, nip over to uh, stilgarian.com slash hometown, pledge to make an Adelaide Public House Forum possible. Meanwhile, we return to this private house forum in Hobart, uh, and during the break, we were all talking about the nature of reality. Corinne, I don't want us necessarily to dominate the conversation, no. but we were just talking about how workers are advertised in the sex industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I related a tale where I was sitting in a, a parkland where we're having a, a barbecue for various people from the sex industry and there was sitting next to me a guy who ran uh, a male escort agency and he happened to take a call while we were sitting there. And and he's discussing who is you know um, available that evening and, and they're their particular statistics and interests and whatever and made the call. And once he'd finished the transaction and and, and arranged that to happen, I said to him, mate, you really should have folded over that part of the paper that listed those guys' actual names and telephone numbers because I kind of know two of those guys. And that guy there who just went out for that booking, I know damn well he's not 19 years old. He's, he's about 25, 26. Mm. Is this false advertising? Well, yeah, no, yes, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it, it comes back to what the client wants you to be in a little way and it's how you market yourself. And age It's just the same thing as saying, I suppose I'm a schoolgirl. Yeah. And it's it's like a forty year old woman I in feel, a dress and Yeah, whatever. that's that's one of the fetishes I feel, oh God, this doesn't fit right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yes, it, you, you you know you <laughs> Yeah. Can I say fairly? You are not. You are not twenty years old. No, I've, I've <laughs> graduated from high school a long time ago, and <laughs> and yet, yeah, still get it. Yep, yep, still get the high school fetish thing, and that's fine. I can rock pigtails, but um, no, picking your age is is how you market yourself, and it's how you present yourself to your market segment that you've chosen to target, and. It's more an indication of what society expects that age group to be in terms of energy levels and in intellect and... Um, and stereotypes. Yeah, and yeah. Many other terrible things about society. And a lot of our advertising is really short and has to be to the point. Um, so if you're advertising in the newspaper, you might have three lines to get that across. Right. And so you can't be saying, oh, I'm 44, but I look like I'm 35 and I'm really bouncy. No, you have to say, you know, um, or, um, 
uh, you know, cracker ads and back page ads, nobody, they don't get read well. So you have to get the information out in the first couple of lines before they move to the pictures. Mm. Yes. And how many times does that go wrong? Oh, oh, it went wrong really <laughs> well. Uh, so I don't know, because I take bookings in advance, I don't normally advertise. I haven't done a paper ad in a long, and they're very expensive newspaper ads. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it, it exploit another industry which is seen as being cashed up. Yeah, yeah. So um, you have a three-line, in the, in the local Hobart paper, you have a three-line minimum. And last time I put an ad in, I think it was 40 bucks for one ad. Um, and to compare that to um, a, an online escort uh, directory which is just for escorts advertising, so it's not, you know, your crackers or your back pages, um, that is $60 a month. So, you know, it's way overpriced for newspapers. Anywho, um, where were we going from there? Um, oh, my, my story. Yes, yes. right. Gosh, yes. <laughs> um, so we, Yeah, we were going with yeah, when does it go wrong? When does it go wrong? So, this was a, so I've been working for six years as Corinne. Uh, it just occurred to me, which makes me feel old, and... I've never – I show bits of my face, maybe my eyes or maybe like the side, but you never see the whole face. I, there's mm-hmm. never enough um, face in my advertising photos that if I walked down the street, you'd say, oh, yeah, that's her. Uh, or conversely, if someone knows me not as Corinne, they're not going to look at my advertising photos and say, oh, okay. So I had a, a client rock up and he looked at me and said, oh, you're very pretty, but your face isn't like what's in the photos. I was like, but your face isn't in the photos. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so apparently he was waiting to see someone who had blurred blob on top of their shoulders or... It's a neuroscience experiment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it was. What do you, you recognise in a raw shark? Yeah. Maybe you could only comprehend like the half... You know when you have a brain problem and you can only see half... Right. Maybe that he maybe he was expecting to see black on one side of my face or something. <laughs> Do we know anything about how sexualization is like works in the brain? Oh. Sorry, this is a big question without notice, but Yeah, well, look, see the brain develops over time in utero when you're a baby growing. So just like you grow your toes and your feet at different parts during development, different parts of your brain develop as well. So we know, for example, that you've got an X chromosome or a Y chromosome, which makes you inherently male or inherently female. And we also know that that goes weirdly strange right. for some people. And yeah, that's, that's we'll see. The put th- that as, let's put that aside for the moment. See, the thing is, our sexuality, our preferences, our feeling of who we are depends on what's going on in the body, in that in that developing baby. Um, as we as as it's developing, so I guess estrogen and testosterone are some of the main hormones that we've all heard about. And depending on the levels of those hormones and others, and the time that those hormones are peaking in gestation, you might, for example, be in the part of the part of development that is deciding what sexuality you are, and then the part of development that is deciding what your preference is, and then deciding what part of your brain is involved in what you desire and all those things depending on the hormones that are available at that point in time can mean that you can have completely disparate um, preferences which is different from what you are biologically so you might feel like you are a you you are a man but you have you feel like you're a woman and you desire men because of the hormones that were present in that part of your development that explains so Eloquently, that makes t- it's lovely. It, it's yeah. I, I'm 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 kind of a little oh. bit a little bit surprised that this isn't sort of discussed more openly because it course, is. It's, this it's is a lot of pushback to discussing it openly. Yeah, well, look, it's, <laughs> that it's, is the most polite way of putting it I've ever heard. Yeah, we, this we this. are we are a spectrum, <laughs> not just in sexuality. We are a spectrum in every single part of our you know our mental capacity, and to try and put it into little subgroups or preferences or whatever it just we don't work that way we are a spectrum so how as a neuroscientist do you feel when politicians or other people want to put all of this into little categories and it's, say that 
it's it's. I, up- and I don't want to say, and the Bible says, because let's not have a go at Christians for this. There are a subset of Christians. Let's just pull it right back to social conservatism, and they say we should not have children talking about this. It, it's just ignoring part of our innate biological imperative. You can't say it any more clearly than that, can you? Thank you. Round Yay. of applause. Round of applause. Yeah. Um, all right, Andrew. Are stars heterosexual? <laughs> stars are both binary and non-binary. Oh, awesome. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, okay. Um, how do I follow that one up? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to resist that lead-in. Yeah, sorry. I may have... Uh, oh, never mind. Yeah, where were we going with this? We, we're going remember. stars of binary and non-binary. Yeah, they and are. I happen to know what is roughly half of stars of binary stars? Something like that. Um, if you look at a random point of light in the night sky, the chances are 50-50 that it's actually going to be two or more stars. Right. When it, you look at it in enough detail. So two or three or four, five, you know. Five, that's, six, seven, you get eight, exponentially nine, less five. likely. Um, yeah, so stars like to form in groups. Yeah, the sun is actually unusual in that we don't have a companion star that we know about. Now, when I was a kid, we were told that Jupiter was the failed star, the failed binary. Is that still how it's perceived? Well, let's not make Jupiter feel bad. <laughs> right, it, it's, now, a very, it's a very on, good planet. When, when, I, when I was a kid, we had nine planets, right? Yeah, we had Pluto was a planet and a dog, but a planet. Mainly a planet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can't muster the energy to really care about Pluto. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's still there, right? I mean, the people who were really upset about Pluto being demoted were the people who wanted funding for a space mission. Ah. There's, there's a certain category of funding for missions to planets, but there's not funding for missions to minor planets or dwarf Just planets or Kuiper Belt and objects. ice and yeah. shit in space. Like, that can't possibly be interesting to a member of Congress who has to approve the NASA budget. But if it's a planet, well, it's different. Then we can send a billion-dollar mission there. That's depressingly pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, they're all worth exploring, right? Um, Absolutely. So, so Jupiter is, uh, I mean, lots of stars have Jupiters. A lot of them don't look like the Jupiters in our solar system in that they're closer to their stars. Um, and we uh, kind of broke planet formation theory by actually going out and observing things, um, which is always really satisfying to <laughs> That's me. That's a quantum thing. We looked at planets and they changed. Oh, uh, it's not even quantum. You just get to break theories by going out <laughs> and looking at the universe. And, uh, <laughs> Before we started recording, you said you do actually like breaking theories. It's very satisfying. <laughs> what theories have you broken? Uh, no, like big T theories, like the theory of gravity or general relativity Sorry, or anything like that. Big T theory, like you know, capital T, like you know, oh, capital theories, T theories, yeah, like, yes, you know. But um, oh, there's just a huge amount that's not known, right? And lots of people write a computer program that purports to sort of solve everything, like. Here we are. This is what the universe looks like. This is how it's supposed to work. Everything should follow this. And then you go, I'm looking out at the sky, and it doesn't do that. (laughs) And um, in part, it's like easier than coming up with your own theory. But it's also just a certain amount of satisfaction in pointing a telescope, making a measurement, going... This is so cool that your theory hasn't even, like, covered that. (laughs) So what is, like, I have to ask, what is cool? What is the coolest thing? I mean, maybe not that you've done yourself, but that you have seen done recently. I guess just for pure uh, expertise, like, the coolest thing that's been done recently is gravitational wave detection. Oh, okay. And this was like recently. This is, this is a really big rabbit hole, isn't it? This is really big. And, and this was recently a Nobel Prize. So it's like a huge industrial enterprise. And it involves like. This is the Nobel Industrial Complex. Absolutely. Not the Ig Nobel, which is like. No, the, no, 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 no. They were producible yeah. things. Yeah. But. So it's like. I'll, I'll link to the Ig Nobels from the podcast website for those Excellent. of you who are not familiar with this wonderful part of science. It's like decades of work and 
trying to measure deflections of mirrors to smaller than the size of an atom, and people on multiple continents, and, you know, just amazing innovation and technical know-how. And You look like a will. man who's sulking because you don't have that kind of budget. Well, <laughs> it's been done, so now it's boring, right? <laughs> Um, well, you know, you wouldn't have thought it could actually be done. But it's interesting. The media spun this as like, people have discovered gravitational waves. This confirms Einstein's theory of general relativity. You think, nah, not really. Einstein, did, <laughs> Einstein didn't need that. Relativity was on a pretty solid ground. What it did confirm was that nature can make fucking 60 solar mass stars, 60 times the mass of the sun, in pairs as binaries, and they can go through their lifetime and evolve and become black holes and then merge with each other. You know, relativity was kind of already in the bag. Like, Einstein had that one, you know. <laughs> he did okay. Just, yeah, but no. the idea that you can make stars 60 or 80 times as massive as the sun and they can evolve the way you think they should and that they can actually kind of spiral into each other, that's, I mean, that's the missing story that, like, didn't get promoted in the whole thing. What is the thing that you think we will see happen next in astrophysics? What's yeah, somebody's I know gonna, that's that's an asshole of a question. Somebody's gonna overhype a discovery that's not really a discovery? Is that, <laughs> is, that is that too sarcastic? Can I say that? Not at all. You can you can say that. Lilia, I'm coming into back to you now. I and I know you're chomping on some of the wonderful food we've had here at this undisclosed location. It's quite delightful. It is delightful. What is the biggest, like, what are the misconceptions people have about the brain? The idea of left and right-brained people. Oh, really? Well, maybe it'll help by explaining why it first came to be. So there was a, I think it was a German German researcher, his name was Wilder Penfield, and he, what he was doing, he was look, opening people's skulls, this is in very prim- you do. in very primitive times. He was opening people's skulls and probing the surface of their brain with an electrode. And what he found with, was with some parts, you'd get a, like a finger twitch or like a leg twitch or an eye twitch. Not an eye twitch, okay, but different body parts were twitching. And what he actually found was the motor cortex, and that different parts of the stimulating different parts of the brain would actually cause different parts of the bodies to twitch and or to become activated. So from that, he was able to see that, you know, like the stimulating the left side of the brain actually caused the right side to twitch and vice versa. We also came to look at other parts of brain function. So, for example, uh, mathematical ability. So that's more predisposed to activating, to, to requiring part of the right side of the brain. And that's just through very primitive investigations. And people thought, okay, so maybe if you if you're good at maths, you're right-sided. And I can see the theory behind that. But the reality is is that your brain is constantly active and it's constantly um, communicating between different parts of the brain. So if you were actually solving a mathematical equation or a problem, you would be using that particular focal part of the brain on the right-hand side and so many other different parts of the brain simultaneously. So it's never just using one specific part. So this idea of lateralization that the left side is good for creativity and the right side is good for mathematical ability and that sort of stuff. You can see where the idea came from, but it doesn't hold true today. I'm pleased that we can help destroy some of the myths. (laughs) If you were to image your brain right now over the next two minutes of conversation... It would be about cider. (laughs) And, I mean, to be and, honest. And in that conversation about cider, pretty much every part of your brain would be activated. So, 100. Because? Because so many different parts of your brain are involved in every process. So, we're talking taste, sound, cultural impressions. All of it. Just probably not balanced because we're sitting down. So, your yeah. cerebellum, the very back of your brain, <laughs> won't be very active right now. But or, or indeed, if I choose to stand up. One of the first things it affects is the cerebellum, hence why you become a bit wobbly on your feet. Yes. Okay. So my whole brain is engaged with the world around me, which when I say it like that, it seems kind of obvious. Yeah, but that also helps debunk that 10% theory yeah. that people like to think is still true. It certainly isn't. Andrew, what are the, uh, the big misconceptions people have about this little thing, the universe? 
I guess one of the misconceptions is just that uh, if you're a scientist, you're spending all your time sort of out contemplating the universe as opposed to sitting in committee meetings, <laughs> dealing with students, <laughs> writing grant proposals. It's very mundane on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I don't know if that's the kind of thing you're looking for. but No, no, yeah, no, no, no. I, I um, think it is. I mean, you have just basically ruined the entire nation's campaign to get people more interested in STEM stuff. <laughs> well, because, uh, I don't know. A lot of the things that Corinne hey, said kid, uh, hey, really kids, would you like to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. kids, would you like to write ground applications? <laughs> but, no, I don't want to make it sound terrible. Um, but it know, is. A lot of the things like... Corinne said made sense like you kind of get to be your own boss you get to travel the world you don't really answer to anybody on a day-to-day basis I don't really I don't need to wear a suit and a tie or (laughs) you know I kind of get to do what I want um, which is fantastic and so I like to complain a lot about the little things that I do have to do (laughs) recognizing that it's a phenomenal privilege to most of the time be able to do whatever the hell I want well, I'm going to uh, wrap up with a question to Corinne. Right. Uh, no, no, no. Could Andrew make it as an escort? Oh, yeah. Any of us could. Why? Why? How does that work? Because there is, there is well, it, boil it down, there's someone out there for everyone. So, you know, um, so I don't conform to a lot of the standards of modern beauty. Um, I'm overweight. And yet that is attractive to a lot of people. And I get clients who just want to book me. Can I come back to that? You are, you are not no, really. No, I'm not. We know that. But marketing. By, by yeah, marketing body yes, image, all of yeah, those things. Yeah, you know, so yeah. I don't conform to what they, I should be according to the people who sell you things. Right. Um, but I get clients who book me just to rub my tummy. And, yeah, you know, that's... You need to be one of those little Chinese cats with the moving arms yeah. if they want to rub your oh, tummy for luck. Oh, there's a history with them. They started out with Japanese... Uh, with the, in brothels. They were originally an indicator that it was a, a brothel inside. Is one of the stories. What? Wow. Yeah, no, don't, I'm, not, I'm really not a history buff, but and I, I, my understanding is there's alternate uh, options for what it could have, you know, the origin stories for the happy cat. So the happy cat the waving at you is and there are ladies yes. The speed of the waving? No, the arm, which arm it uses is um, indicative oh, of... No, no, it, it means different things, and there's different colours that mean different things. Oh, come on, this is crazy. Like that. handkerchiefs and yeah, yeah, pocket, yeah. Gay, pocket handkerchiefs yeah. for gay men, yes. and is your earring in the left or right Yeah. Thing? This is all bullshit, though. Yeah. It, is it, is though? It? I don't know. When I got my ear pierced, I know I had to get the left ear. Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. No, I, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. On that note... Of uh, what is reality? <laughs> we better end this. Andrew Cole, the lovely Korean, Leela. I've Lund- got it in front of me. Landowski. I, I am embarrassed not to, but I literally did not have it written down in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all the edict for now. Links and stuff on the podcast webpage. As usual, the next episode will be on Saturday, the 24th of March, in Adelaide as a public house forum. Ep, or at least it will be if you help make it happen. Go to stillgarian.com slash hometown. That's stillgarian.com slash hometown to make an Adelaide thing happen. Until then, I'm Stillgarian. Have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.